I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Thanks for joining us again on Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Tony continues his chat this week with Murray Lomax as we round out our off-season interviews. I hope you've enjoyed the series. And, well, I hope you'll stay with us. Some exciting stuff coming up in 2020 season where we will be changing our format slightly. You'll get to enjoy Inside Supercars much more frequently in this new season so i hope you will enjoy the changes and continue your support of the show after the break we come back with tony whitlock catching up with murray lomax for part two of his interview each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across australia and around the world still a bit in shock uh Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Murray Lomax. Just talking about uh, the sale of television production and, and what it was and what you set out to do with the way in which Supercars V8s as it was then start, but how it became and the look of it. Um, it was always important to me to make sure that, that what we were making was entertaining. The, the hardcore fans will always watch no matter how bad the coverage is. Um, but it was important to be able to get fringe viewers attracted to the sport and for it to have them watching. Uh, and you know, there are limitations on that because of, you know, most of the time the racing is in the daytime. I've always been a strong believer in the need to go to night racing. And it's something I used to talk about at, um, when I was at Supercars. Uh, that, you know, you, that way you go to where the audience is rather than having the audience come to you. But the, at the same time, you need to make it look exciting. You, you need to be able to be on top of the storytelling about what's going on uh, and, and have an understanding of um, what could potentially happen. There's always potential. You know, and that's why, you know, in the days when we used to have three 20-minute races, uh, it was, you always had three starts, you had three finishes and three other big incidents somewhere along the way. And so there was always restarting of races. When they moved to having one race in a day, that eliminated a lot of, a lot of those sort of tensions. Uh, you know, so other things need to be able to be brought into the mix. Uh, and, but it's important to make sure that, that you know, the audience gets a, a feeling as if they're actually involved in what's going on. So, you know, I, I need to be able to be this far away, you know, like you know, 30 centimetres away from the car that's passing. Yes. Uh, you, know, you know, I want to have exclusive views of, you know, I want to see the, see the um, uh, inside of the tyre well and, and see what's happening to the tyres 
as, as they go. You know, an overhead view of the driver you know, from an impossible angle. You, you know, nobody can sit there and see that. Uh, and, and then, you know, uh, one stage we introduced having uh, little cameras inside of a car that could track from behind the driver to go down past him and around just in front of him. And, and so it would give you a changing perspective of it. And I remember one driver uh, at one stage saying he was at Bathurst and he was, he was about to go up Mountain Straight and he was just looked down and he saw this camera just move past him and he thought, my God, I'm being overtaken by a camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the tremendous thing was, of course, in Australia, Channel 7 was there, and, you know, Peter Williamson, and that must have been, as a television producer, director... To see that sort of development, you know, it was fantastic, yeah. and, and you know everybody uh, really heaped a lot of praise on them for what they did, and that was superseded by cameras becoming smaller. Yeah, uh, and then you could achieve different things. You know, like like putting a little camera stuck on a rear view mirror, external rear view mirror, that could, where you could see the driver and you could see what was behind yes. from the, from that camera. Uh, and those sorts of things would put you in places where you just could not possibly go yeah. uh, and then to get involved in in seeing incidents that occurred because of where you were with those cameras. Uh, Marcus Ambrose you know, gave me his point of view in a long conversation when he was still racing in the States and, and I'd said to him and he was he got a bit angry actually because I said to him that you know um, NASCAR you know the cars don't look brutal but compared to when you're watching Australian V8 TV and he said Every corner's an accident, mate. Don't you understand? They're 900 horsepower. And, sort of, and he was quite... I said, I'm talking about what it looks like. You know, and that obviously must be very pleasing to see that development, to see the way in which you know, V8s were, were shown around the world. It is. Um, and, and it was always a drive to be able to do it better. And what else can we do to be able to, to help add to that as we go along? You know, just as important is the soundtrack. You know, to be able to hear the talk back of the teams with the drivers uh, and the emotion that was there, some of them, I mean, some of that was pretty crude at times when we first started doing it. Um, you know, I, I remember an incident with Russell Ingle talking to uh, his engineer uh, at the time and Russell was having problems and every second word was an F word which was very hard to miss. And he had to really go through quite a process with drivers about the fact that TV audiences are family. So Greg Murphy was a twenty thousand dollar fine, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it was one of the biggest problems that we had with the sport is the drivers and teams were all doing their thing. They didn't care about TV as long yes. as they could do their thing. We needed to be able to bring the two together much more and integrate the. the two do you think more. that's happened as an evolution of it? Yes, yeah. it has. Yeah, it definitely has happened. It's much, much better now than it used to be. And, and it gives you the opportunity about to grow in ways that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Um, I actually read just this morning, was part of the stewards' report from the incident with Mr Coulthard slowing the field down. And um, it actually made mention of uh, Greg Murphy's interview with Ryan Storey yeah. in the stewards' report. And it gave him a hint, um, more than a hint, because it was a fairly dreadful piece of work by Ryan's story. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see how things that, that were of the entertainment value have now impacted on the sporting side of it. You know, I mean, that's obviously a desire of television to be fully involved in it. Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that the sport misses out on 
is publicity. Yeah. You know, we do not see enough instances of uh, the drama rising to a top level that attracts attention in the, in the press and the media across the nation. And so what has happened from uh, an exposure for the sport uh, with this incident at Bathurst with um, uh, DJR Penske is it's attracted a lot of attention that will help to bring more audience to the next event. Can I just give you a little summary of that? I won't mention the driver's name, but the truck driver of the DJR Penske coming back from Bathurst, he sort of received death threats on his uh, UHF radio, yep. which is awful to hear about. Yeah. I mean, it's that amazing thing, of course, that, you know, whether it's AFL or tennis players or f football or, or whatever sphere it is of sport, the fans often are far more, you know, vocal and aggressive and, you know, about the way it works. The players sort of go, oh, what happened? Yeah, get move on. Because it's just not that the office for them and they obviously can't dwell on it. Um, you know, when uh, Richmond fans, you know, the umpire just ruined the game and the Richmond player says, oh, no, it didn't. We just played differently. Oh, right. Um, and that sort of same thing happens. But to hear that a truck driver has a death threat for something that a team did at Bathurst is, is a shocking thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, it's people's behaviour is the problem. There's not much more of that these days and I think social media is a big that, driving force for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people don't have control over their emotions in those sort of circumstances and they will immediately rattle something out which 15 minutes later they might think, mm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> which leads me into... What do you think now, having been involved for such a long time, and you, your involvement ended in? Uh, end of 2010. Right, okay, so it's a fair spate made out of it now. Yeah. Um, what do you think of what's produced now, what goes to air, and, and you know, how it looks sort of thing? Well, it's been an evolution that's, yep. con that's continued on. I, I, I think, um, you know, my, probably my main criticism is that it's, it's a bit too focused on the hardcore fan, yeah, uh, because they will always be there, uh, and it needs to look at other uh, entertainment aspects to it without becoming frivolous. Uh, and um, uh, but you know, in many ways, you know, the education of the audience has improved along the way. You know, we talked before about Mark Larkham and the sorts of things that that he can bring to the audience. I mean, his explanation of the the fuel situation at Bathurst. Uh, the other week is exactly what you need to be able to know. Yes. And once upon a time, that would have just been glossed over, and people would say, "Well, we think that uh, we we think that uh, Courtauld's running low on fuel or whatever." We're not quite sure where it is, but there's a real risk here. We actually have a far better idea these days of what's going on. You know, the data that's available for everybody to be able to get access to, and for the TV coverage to be able to get access to, is helping to be able to provide that information to the audiences at home. And you have a look at how much data has grown in usage with the teams, and likewise for the TV coverage, you know, it's added a lot to it and it helps to be able to tell the story. And if you can't tell the story properly, then you're not going to get the, the fans. Yeah, indeed. Um, which uh, is always interesting, that the fact that the fuel drop was introduced because of, to get equal quality across both the Nissan and Mercedes and Volvo brands, because they had far more fuel efficient engines, no, they didn't, but anyway. Uh, Mercedes never believed that Stone Brothers had a 600 horsepower push rod V8. How could they do that? Of course they didn't. Anyway, um, it's been about three months that there's been no need to have a fuel drop, and it's now kept. 
and will be probably kept in 2020 purely as a sporting to strategy. Well, it, it's exactly what I was talking about before. You know, years ago, we used to do three 20-minute races yeah. with three starts and three finishes. So we don't have that anymore. This is an, a, another start in the middle of a race. Yes. And it provides the possibility of having things happen. People want to see incidents and they want to see drivers be able to get out of it uh, and be able to walk away from it. But they're living that, that moment themselves. What would I do? Yeah, I'm gaining from seeing what happens to these guys. I wouldn't want to be in that position, but I'm learning something from it. Yeah. I had many conversations with Cochrane, not nearly as many as you did, of course, um, but one of the ones I remember vividly was talking about how Channel 10, and this is prior to Fox contract coming in, um, Channel 10 viewers were better treated than the people at the track and because the information they got was far more than at the track and talked about you know how there should be a portable position tower at every bloody race meeting we go to which across america and even the smallest little dirt track that'll be the case but we have to wait till we get to bathurst to actually have that device um the part of the equation i mean obviously you need to have things to make sure people feel okay about buying fox subscriptions that's obviously part of the thing whereby you need to keep something exclusive for Fox um, and not be on Channel 10. Yes. Um, I, I would have to say that I think that that's a situation that will probably change. I think Fox have been fantastic with what they've done uh, and uh, how they've um, brought things to the sport uh, and the way that they've gone about it. And I... Uh, I think that Channel 10 have lagged behind in that regard. Um, they don't have the money to go with it, but then I think in the years to come that Fox probably won't have the money either. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to become an issue. And, and, and it's an issue for the sport that they only have six events that to are sell free sponsor. to yeah. Yeah. And, and that's affecting sponsorship for the teams uh, all around. And it's it's showing now that um, it's affecting teams badly uh, and it takes me back to 1996 when it was coming to the end of the Channel 7 contract and, and they were pushing the telecast out to all hours of the night. Uh, it was hard to chase, chase it and, and the sport was affected by the lack of eyeballs that were watching what was going on. Give them consistent time, give it to them when they want, want it uh, and you'll immediately start seeing that change. And it's got to be free-to-air, because free-to-air has the opportunity uh, to attract many more viewers than um, uh, subscription TV does, only because people don't want to pay. The take-up rate in Australia is, is, what, half of what it would be in the UK and the US, or less than half even? Less than half, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting you sort of make uh, mention of that. I have a strong suspicion, and it's only a suspicion, that uh, if we'd go back, say, six months, maybe even four months, that most people would not have thought there'd be 24 cars on the grid next year. Um, a, a late take-up, and a real dynamic change, of course, we're going from, there's no single-car teams next year. They've all gone two-car, or a three-car has gone up to four cars, and things like that. So it's a totally different dimension now in pit lane either two or four cars and that's it. Yeah. And 
part of that dynamic, of course, is the, the, the on-selling of, of uh, sponsorship to, and, you know, where I'm told by a team owner that management was unaware they were in so much trouble, was touting about how wonderful the series is, but, of course, that's not the case. They are struggling and, you know, really trying to make it work. It's only because of several team owners, I mean, I'll talk about Charlie Schwerkoff, for instance, who's such a fan that he, you know, whatever it takes, I'll get two cars on the grid sort of thing. Did you have many meetings with the team owners? Did you get? Did they get your, their input when you were producing? Uh, <laughs> too yes. or too much? <laughs> yes, yes. It's a funny how many bosses there are in supercars. <laughs> right. I mean, let's face it. The owners of these teams are all successful businessmen, one way or another, yeah. and they're all used to getting their own way. And then to be part of a team is a frustrating experience for them. Uh, and so you know, they'll, they'll try to jump the queue uh, to get things done. Um, but um, uh, I, I, I think it's a, not a great situation at the moment where we're down to 26 cars for Bathurst, for example. I, I always thought it should be at least 30 for Bathurst. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a spectacle that's disappeared. Yes. Uh, and mind you, there were a lot of people that used to race at Bathurst who were not capable. Yes, yeah. And hence large retirement rates and things like That's that. That's right. Yeah, and it used to be that um, uh, we used to call them mobile chicanes. Yeah. They were always getting in the way. and uh, But they spiced things up. They did, they did spice things up. But, you know, you know the, the, the top quality teams are capable of spicing things up themselves, and they do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, but you know, they do it because they push limits. And I, I, I've had a lot of time with Alan Moffat in the past, and, uh, and I talked to him about the golden days of um, motor racing in Australia. And he would always say, "Murray, these are the golden days. What we used to do was survive." He said, "If you could get out there and you could finish a race, you survived, and you were in a position to perhaps win." Uh, and he said, but, you know, too often, too many good drivers suffered because of engineering problems. After the break, we'll come back with Murray's final thoughts on the future. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lap the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. I'm from the Cool Drive Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're here with Murray Lomax, just giving his thoughts really on the future for television and supercars in Australia. Well, I think the main thing is really is the prime product is the racing itself. I mean, we've been lucky to have such fantastic racing, some great people that are involved and lots of good stories about those people and what they've been able to achieve. Uh, and you know, we've got some good young stars that are in the mix at the moment. But I think there's a big question mark over the future. Uh, we talk about um, you know, uh, e-racing and 
you think about going to a racetrack where there's not much noise. <laughs> yes. And, and, and rightly or wrongly, that's been a very major part of the atmosphere. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, that's going to disappear at some stage. What's that going to do to the following of the sport? Uh, yes, there'll still be racing, there'll be good racing, but, you know, you'll be able to hear those crashes much more clearly because there isn't any of the sound of the engines <laughs> coming, coming across from one side of the track to the other. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you know, we are coming to a point where a, a lot of things are going to be called into question. Uh, and I, I think that's going to take a lot of careful guidance to be able to get through and, and make that work. The other thing is, is that, you know, speaking from a, a producer's point of view, is that competition for viewers' eyes is more intense now than it's ever been. And the opportunity to be able to go and uh, get uh, millions and millions of viewers in Australia is a lot less because we've fragmented the audience so much. You know, it used to be when there were four TV stations yes. and that was it, you could get massive audiences really easily because they had no other choices. But you know, you know, and I have have a look at you know. I get together with my family, and you know, someone's watching the TV in one room. Someone's watching a t different channel in another room, and there's three or four people who are watching something on their phones. It's yes. all so fragmented. You know, you, the farm's not much bigger, but the division of the farm is making each plot smaller. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there are things that really need a, a lot of thinking about. And what's that going to do? to the dollars that are coming into a sport and the, the way you go about chasing those dollars and getting results for those sponsors. Cochrane used to talk often about um, the importance of the people who come through the gate. I, I mean, I used to argue that he really wasn't doing that much wrong. But he argued that, you know, they're the people who are investing in making the, the job of, you know, their sport they want to see it live. That's obviously an important part too when you're doing a broadcast, for instance, the backers, for instance, getting that crowd that, that adds to the spectacle. Um, it's an important part for, for television, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, the grand final, AFL grand final, of course, if they played it in front of 50 people, it would be pretty boring, you know. <laughs> it would. Uh, it, I mean, that's all part of the atmosphere of an event. Uh, and and yeah, that's where I'm saying, you know, the, the roar of the crowd of an AFL game is fantastic. Yeah. For example, you know, when you've got the MCG packed with a hundred thousand people, it's just a, it's a glorious moment to be involved with. Uh, you know, for motor racing, we are spread out much more over a wider, much wider area. If you've got a bunch of quiet cars going around, the roar of the crowd could probably be heard, but it's nowhere near as dramatic as an enclosed stadium. But the one thing we do know. <coughs> is that man is one of those, uh, the most adaptive beasts and that in some way, shape or form, it'll be worked out and the, the, the sun will shine again and we'll all be able to get up and... Well, I, I think, you know, in terms of keeping the audience interest in what's going on, it's finding the stories about what's going on uh, and, and how people have gotten to where they are and what it is that they're trying to achieve. That's one of the things that I always find really interesting about the thread that's there. You know, I, I, I take great heart from what we've seen with the, the Kelly brothers. Uh, here's two guys that were dyed in the wool Holden drivers who went out and did something different to become a Nissan team. Yeah. And in many ways, they've probably worked a miracle to get to the stage where they are with it. 
<coughs> but they know that they can't do that anymore, uh, and they've made the decision to go and change to a Mustang. Yes. Uh, people would once have said, you know, they're traders yeah. for doing it. Yeah. But they're not. They're making a business decision. Yeah. Uh, and I think it'll pay off for them. Yeah. 50 to 100 people there that they employ. And... Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's right. It's a, it, it's a great decision. And I'm really pleased to see that someone's been able to do that. Um, those sorts of things are, are part of the, the story. You need to be able to get across to the audience for them to have an understanding saying, oh, Rick Kelly hasn't won a race for five years or whatever. <coughs> Yeah. And here he is, he comes back with a new car, and he's already this season, he's won three races. What a great story. Yeah, indeed. Well, on that note, um, Murray, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Supercars. And I will um, make a moment to uh, catch up with you in New Year. You've got projects on the go that you can't talk about now. I look forward to that time when you can, and you'll be actively promoting it and sending out flyers saying, look, come and watch, come and watch. So thank you for your time on Inside Supercars to Murray Lomax. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Thanks very much to Murray Lomax giving Tony so much of his time. And as I said before, that concludes our off-season set of interviews here on Inside Supercars. We hope you enjoyed this year's Father Series and also those catch-ups with Craig Hastead and Keys Wheel as well. So until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Insights is produced by is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in on your iTunes on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.